Welcome back to another fully loaded episode of You Heard It Here First, the show that helps you discover the best that Audible has to offer. I'm your host, Imriel Morgan, and I'm back with some more audio delights from Audible to share with you. Coming up on today's episode, you'll discover that you've probably been breathing wrong your whole life. Then we turn back the clock and slip into the roaring 20s. Later in the show, I'm joined by two of Audible's editors to share their favorite lessons. And I'll be hearing from another one of you lovely listeners in our latest genre corner. Let's get started. We're kicking things off with a featured customer review. I've delved through the Audible website and found a heartfelt review from Natasha. She gave Temio's book, Do You Dream of Terra 2, five stars. Let's hear what she had to say. An absolutely wonderful narrative, beautifully told. A character-driven sci-fi reminiscent of Ishiguru's work. O's characters are brilliant, compelling and flawed in the best possible way. This is a coming-of-age story set in space. O poses sharp and interesting questions, seamlessly juggling the huge, broad questions of society with the more individual, personal perspectives, allowing them to interplay and inform each other. Wonderfully performed. I can't wait to listen to Terra 2 again and again, and I at least will be looking out for whatever Temi O writes next. Oh, I can't wait to get into this one. That was Natasha's review of Do You Dream of Terra 2 by Temi O. Has she convinced you to give it a go? You can find it on Audible now. Next, it's time to take a deep breath as we leap into our featured new release. This week, I've been listening to Breath, the new science of a lost art by James Nestor. Those of you who listened to the first series of You Heard It Here First will know how much I love nonfiction books, especially ones about the way we work, and I was very intrigued about this one. It's a strong start from James who opens the book by letting us know that we've probably been breathing incorrectly our whole lives, and it's causing you a world of problems and unnecessary pain. Breath is quite literally a breath of fresh air because it's a deep exploration of the most relatable human behaviour. Breathing, according to James, is woefully underexplored. We all need to breathe, so there's something beneficial for everyone. Over a decade, he spoke to people around the world, from freedivers to doctors to researchers and religious groups, all of whom help him break down everything from chewing, snoring, prayer, the unexpected benefits of carbon dioxide, and why it's bad to breathe through your mouth. Here's a clip. Today marks the halfway point of the mouth-breathing phase of the experiment. And today, like every other day, as he's been doing for three times a day, morning, noon, and night, Olson takes a seat across from me. One, two, three, we flip on a pile of beeping and burping machines lumped on the table, strap cuffs to our arms, place sensors to our ears, stick thermometers in our mouths, and begin recording our physiological data on spreadsheets. The readouts reveal what the previous days have revealed. Mouth breathing is destroying our health. My blood pressure has spiked by an average of 13 points from where it was before the test, which puts me deep into stage 1 hypertension. If left unchecked, the state of chronically raised blood pressure also shared by a third of the U.S. population, can cause heart attacks, stroke, and other serious problems. 
Meanwhile, my heart rate variability, a measure of nervous system balance, has plummeted, suggesting that my body is in a state of stress. Then there's my pulse, which has increased, my body temperature, which has decreased, and my mental clarity, which has hit rock bottom. It's through meeting these so-called pulmonauts that James tries to uncover the secret to breathing yourself healthy. James is a science writer. He started his journey in a breathing class he attended after a recommendation from a doctor. He was stressed out and he had suffered a bout of pneumonia. He was shocked by the transformation. If you listen and panic that you don't know how to breathe, do not fear. At the end of the book, he has a series of breathing practices with Anders Olsen, founder of the Conscious Breathing Concept, who takes you through a calming breathing routine. James says you can listen to this before or after the book. I personally like listening to it at the end once I understood how to breathe better, but it's up to you. At this point, I need to come clean and say I have mixed feelings about this book. One element I wasn't 100% sure about were the parts that I thought implied alternative medicines or healing, though he did say it isn't a cure for things like cancer. So when it's a case of general well-being, I guess it costs us nothing to breathe. Another problem was that while I enjoyed it, I did drift in and out at parts. There's something about this research-heavy style of non-fiction audiobook that I find difficult to follow. It's very referential, so it lends itself to a highlighter and a page fold so that you can jump back to the best bits, something you can't quite do with an audiobook. I did enjoy listening along and attempting the breathing challenges, though, and I made good use of the audible clipping feature for the exercises and techniques which are much better heard than read. So, if you fancy expanding your mind and your lungs, why not try it out? You can listen to Breath by James Nestor on Audible. Welcome to our Hidden Gem section of the show. This is where I choose a book, podcast or drama that may not be new but will still delight you. And my pick this week is The Great Gatsby, written by F. Scott Fitzgerald and performed by Jake Gyllenhaal. You've probably heard lots about this story already, but for those who've missed it, The Great Gatsby follows the first-person narration of Nick Carraway, a bond salesman who rents a small bungalow next to the elusive millionaire Jay Gatsby. Nick is intrigued by Gatsby and the mysterious rumours surrounding him and his wealth. He can't quite figure Gatsby out, who is known for throwing ostentatious parties with the who's who of New York's elite in the 1920s. Nick soon learns that Gatsby is obsessed with his cousin, a socialite named Daisy Buchanan. Gatsby met Daisy before the Great War, but lost her partly because of enlisting, but also because he was poor. Daisy, who is now married to a man called Tom Buchanan, begins an affair with Gatsby and drama and tragedy quickly ensue. I can't think of a book that has been more overhyped than The Great Gatsby, I read it back in 2013, just before the Baz Luhrmann film adaptation starring Leonardo DiCaprio. I was underwhelmed by the book and I didn't get what all the fuss was about. I did, however, love the movie, which I'm sure some of you listening may find blasphemous. The reason I bring this up is because, weirdly, I really enjoyed the audiobook, even if I still have very little love for the story itself. Jake Gyllenhaal is a fantastic narrator and his voices are hilarious and hammy all at the same time. Some people have found his delivery a little flat or monotonous, but I thought it suited Nick Carraway's character perfectly. The slightly detached air matched Nick's role as an outsider in the lavish circles he finds himself in. 
I also really enjoyed Gyllenhaal's attempts at the female characters' voices. There's a sense of charm he brings to it that works. I found it much easier to enter the world and be enamoured by the characters through him, like when Gatsby and Daisy meet. They were sitting at either end of the couch, looking at each other as if some question had been asked or was in the air, and every vestige of embarrassment was gone. Daisy's face was smeared with tears. And when I came in, she jumped up and began wiping at it with her handkerchief before a mirror. But there was a change in Gatsby that was simply confounding. He literally glowed. Without a word or a gesture of exaltation, a new well-being radiated from him and filled the little room. Oh, hello, old sport, he said, as if he hadn't seen me for years. I thought for a moment he was going to shake hands. It stopped raining. Has it? When he realized what I was talking about, that there were twinkle bells of sunshine in the room, he smiled like a weatherman, like an ecstatic patron of recurrent light, and repeated the news to Daisy. What do you think of that? It stopped raining. I'm glad, Jay. Her throat, full of aching, grieving beauty, told only of her unexpected joy. I want you and Daisy to come over to my house, he said. I'd like to show her around. You sure you want me to come? Absolutely, old sport. Daisy went upstairs to wash her face, too late, I thought, with humiliation of my towels, while Gatsby and I waited on the lawn. I don't quite like any of the characters, but Gyllenhaal really brings a great sense of warmth to them. Like I said, you probably know a fair amount about this book, but something you might not have known was that Fitzgerald was going to go with a completely different name. Some of his top choices included Trimalchio in West Egg, On the Road to West Egg, Under the Red, White and Blue, Gold-Hatted Gatsby and The High-Bouncing Lover. I'm not sure it would have been such a hit with the title High-Bouncing Lover, but here we are. Like what you've heard, you can find The Great Gatsby performed by Jake Gyllenhaal on Audible. And on You Heard It Here First, I'm not the only one raving about some of the great books, podcasts and dramas available on Audible. Each week, two guests join me to talk about some of their recommendations. First, today we have Frances Earlham. Hi, Frances. Hi, Imriel. Thanks for coming back. Can you remind us briefly what you do at Audible? I am the person that is hopefully helping you find your next listen. So I'm sending you emails. You're looking at the content that I've curated on site. And hopefully we're bringing you the best our catalogue has to offer at the right time when you want to find a new thing to listen to. Brilliant. Sounds good. Sounds just like what we do here at You Heard It Here First. What have you chosen for us today? So I've chosen The Colour Purple, which is a book by Alice Walker. She wrote it in 1982. And what's it about? So The Colour Purple is set in 1930s Georgia, and it's about a young black woman called Celie, who starts by writing letters to God, as a way of expressing herself as a 14-year-old teenager. It's a coming-out tale that takes you through her life. This version that you're talking about has a new narrator, is that right? Yes, that's right. So there is a version on site which is narrated by Alice Walker herself, which is wonderful. But this version is narrated by the actress Mira Wiley, and it was released earlier this year, re-recorded for Audible. And did she do a good job, do you think? You really get so much more out of it, having listened to Samira 
narrating it, you hear Celia's voice so much. And, and yeah. although she does she does pull in other characters and she will change the way that she talks in it, for the most part, she is Celia's voice. And I feel like Celia is speaking to me. Celia may feel, you know, that she's talking to God or she's talking to Nettie, but actually I feel like she's talking to me. And I think that's what, what makes me think that Samira has really taken on this character what did you enjoy the most about the book or what stood out for you? I really like the way you can see Celie adapting and becoming a stronger and more open person. There are lots of things that happen to Celie and to other characters that that are devastating and you wonder how they can get through this. But then you see there are characters who have been at each other's throats, who haven't liked each other, who have been hurtful, that through friendship come to an understanding that they can work well together. There's this particular character, for example, Shug Avery. She's a jazz singer. She's electric. She sounds like such an engaging person. You want to be friends with her. You'd have a good night on the town with her. (laughs) And Celia's in love with her. And Shug is blunt and honest and she tells Celie exactly what she thinks. She calls her ugly. It sounds awful. <laughs> but actually, Celia adores Shug and Shug comes to adore Celie too. And they become great friends, they become lovers. And I think that's wonderful. You see Celie come out of herself and realise all the things that are open to her, the, how much worth she actually has. Yes, it's really beautiful. You described that so beautifully as well. What about your favourite part? Is there a moment that you just adored? I think where Alice really excels is in being able to describe a place or something happening in such a way that you feel like you are there. So Shug Avery has just arrived at Celie's house to come and stay with her and Mr. Now bear in mind that Shug is Mr's mistress and Celie is Mr's wife. And Celie is looking after Shug and Shug doesn't want to have anything to eat. Yet Celie has created this wonderful feast and the way in which she describes it makes you feel like you're eating it yourself. And she says Shug doesn't want to have any. And she goes away and comes back and finds that Shug has actually eaten some of the food that she's prepared for her and talks about how a little mouse has taken a couple of bites of it. And it's so warm. It's so beautifully told. And you really do feel like you're there. Brilliant. Let's hear a clip. She drink her coffee, puff on a cigarette. I bite into a big, juicy piece of home-cured ham. You can smell this ham for a mile when you're cooking it. It perfume up her little room with no trouble at all. I lavish butter on a hot biscuit. Sort of wave it about. I sop up ham gravy and splash my eggs in with my grits. She blow more and more smoke. Look down in her coffee like maybe it's something solid at the bottom. Finally, she say, Silly, I believe I could drink a glass of water. And this here by the bed ain't fresh. She hold out her glass. I put my plate down on the card table by the bed. I go dip her up some water. I come back, pick up my plate. (sighs) Look like a little mouse been nibbling the biscuit. A rat run off with the ham. 
She act like nothing happened. Begin to complain about being tired, doze on off to sleep. What was it about that clip that really moved you? I could taste that food. I could smell that food. I could eat that food. And the way that <laughs> Seely describes it, and she says it with such a kind of giggle in her voice, like she knows that Shug's taken this food, but she doesn't want Seely to know that she's had it. It's just, it's just beautiful. Amazing. Thank you so much, Francis. No problem. So Francis has mentioned the book and the audio versions, but there was also a film. It was adapted into a movie by Steven Spielberg, who deliberately left out the true nature of Celie and Suge's relationship. Instead, it was depicted as a platonic friendship because he thought audiences weren't ready for a lesbian relationship. He's since admitted that he regrets that decision, and he should. Now, if Francis has convinced you, you can find The Colour Purple, written by Alice Walker and narrated by Samira Wiley on Audible. And back with another great recommendation is Tom Curry. Hey, Tom. Hi. Hi. Last time you were here, you chose a podcast called Pitch. What Mm -hmm. are you talking about today? So (laughs) this one's another obscure one. He's actually written, I think, four collections of essays. But this is the only one that I could find on Audible. Um, It's a writer named David Rakov. The book of essays that we're going to be talking about is called Fraud. And it's just so deliciously pessimistic about absolutely everything. It's completely (laughs) scathing in the best possible way. I agree. I loved this pick. Can you tell us what it's about? (laughs) Yeah. So David's an interesting character. Him, David Rakoff, David Sedaris and Ira Glass all started This American Life-ish around the same time. Obviously, it's Ira's show, but both Davids, David Sedaris and David Rakoff, were writers that were featured quite often. He worked in publishing for a long time and absolutely loathed it, (laughs) but, but kind of loved to loathe it as you hear from some of the essays in the book. And he's just so scathing about absolutely everyone in the most just heartwarming way. But what I think makes it really accessible is that he feels the same way about himself. The collection itself is called Fraud. Mm. And I think that captures exactly his feeling about things. You know, he's willing to dish it out for everyone else, but that sort of sharp tongue is uh, reserved not just for others. He kind of applies it to himself as well. Yeah. Do you ever find out why he's like that? I don't know. He's just sort of a skinny Jewish gay Canadian. Like (laughs) (laughs) There were certain aspects of it that I think are quite representative of a particular type of queer experience where you might not be the strongest, you might not be the most popular, but the only thing that you do have is like this incredibly sharp intellectual wit that you use as a bit of a self-defense to kind of fight back against other people. You know, it's very sassy. It's just brilliant. Yeah, it was just the shadiest thing I've ever read. And I think it's magnificent. (laughs) Yeah. And he's like, you'll hear from one of the first essays in the collection. He is like, unapologetically a city dweller. Like, he hates the outdoors. (laughs) He describes a moment where he's sort of like stood on this hill after, you know, a sort of mild climb. And he's like searching for a car park in the distance. (laughs) (laughs) I find nothing particularly ennobling about what we've just done. I'm not sporting any added tumescence. 
I have no sense that I've stared down anything significant. I find life itself provides ample and sufficient tests of my valor and mettle. Illness, betrayal, fruitless searches for love, working for the abusive, the insane, and the despotic. All challenges easily as thrilling to me as scrambling over icy rock in a pair of barely adequate boots. As a natural finale, the clouds begin to dissipate, and a shaft of extraordinary late afternoon sunlight pours through and gilds a stretch of piney mountainside. The air is as clear and cold as vodka. Unexpectedly, and with the speed and force of a freight train, I find myself quietly, desperately sad. I think, if I can only hear some traffic, or if only the mist would part to reveal a parking lot, oh God, a beautiful, beautiful parking lot down at the base of the mountain, I will get through this. He's just so out of place. And as someone that, like, was useless at sports and, like, you know, never outdoors, like, I so relate to that. It's just brilliant. Where is he now? It's actually quite sad. David passed away in his mid-40s after a battle with cancer. As I said, he and Ira Glass were very close and he desperately wanted to do the audiobook for his last collection of essays. And so Ira helped him record the audio for that in the This American Life studios. And they did a tribute to him on This American Life, his last program commemorating him with some of his best works and essays. I hope this isn't too crass, but in a way, that tragedy, I think, informs the way that I listen to the book and kind of warms you to it and makes you, you know, you feel so charitable and generous towards him when you know that and you're listening to this kind of, yeah, it's just a beautiful, beautiful book. It's so funny. I really hope if there's one thing that we can get across from this, it's just how funny and dark and delicious it is. Yes, it's just these really mundane moments that you probably wouldn't think too much of. And he's just kind of reframed it. (laughs) And it's not sinister or malicious in any way. It's just delightful and scathing. And it's probably all of the things that we've thought or wish we could think about people. absolutely. (laughs) And he's put it so eloquently. And and he's able to just sort of like fabricate fictions for all of the people that he sees in the world and knows nothing about. Like, oh, she's probably like this or he's probably... Do you know what it is? It's... You kind of want to be stuck at some hideous family gathering and you and he both end up at the table with all of the drinks and just one by one he sort of takes down every Picking member of the family. Apart. Yeah. Yes, that would be exactly it. Like just that person that just kind of reads the room and and can assign like incredible meaning and it be kind of ridiculous at the yeah. same time. Yeah. I love that. And do you think this is a book for everyone or is there a person that you have in mind that would just really enjoy this? I think, sort of going back to what I was saying earlier, any queer person that got bullied at school will love this book. Absolutely love it. Because it is exactly as I was saying, you know, just using words to kind of take people down in a way that's incredibly satisfying. He is rude about people. So I think if you're you know, a nice kind of Christian listener. Maybe it's <laughs> maybe it's not one for you. There is a discussion of gay sex at one point as he's climbing this this hill, which is quite quite explicit in in the most entertaining way. Uh, yeah, it's not for the faint-hearted, but I think for anyone that considers themselves a city person and kind of revels in that hatred of 
phone niceties and everything. It's just, it's just so perfect for them. Thanks, Tom. No, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Fraud by David Rakoff was Tom's pick of the week. Next up, it's time to dip into an Audible session. This is another podcast from the team at Audible where they bring in some of your favourite authors to hear more about them. This week, I've chosen a clip from Iswantswa Jane Goldsmith's episode. Iswantswa Jane is a speaker and activist. She sat down with Holly Newson to talk about her new book, The Space Between Black and White, which explores what it was like growing up mixed-raced in Britain. And so with the terminology, because there is always debate and always going to be debate about what words should and shouldn't be used for whatever reason, how do you feel about the term mixed race? Well, I think it's very positive, actually. And I have spent, as an activist and a socialist and uh, a person who is an internationalist, I have spent hours and hours of my life sitting in rooms full of people trying to work out what we're going to be called. And so I just get with the program, whatever it is that people feel is the best thing. And very often, this year's best thing is going to be, in a decade's time, going to be a term of abuse. So you know that when you've lived long enough, you can see these cycles of terminology coming round. What I would say is that no matter what we call ourselves and how we identify, it doesn't make the discrimination and the racism go away. You know, you just put a different label on the tin, you know. So I think, yes, it's important what we call ourselves. Yes, it's important that we are comfortable with it. But at the same time, no one term is going to be static and no one term is going to cover the complexity of identity. So I'm comfortable with mixed race at the moment. And I think um, it's enabled us to kind of connect. And I've found my tribe in a way, which I haven't done all, all my life. I like her. She's got she's got vim. And she was speaking pure sense. If that's piqued your interest, you can find a Swanswood Jane Goldsmith's Audible session on Audible, along with her book, The Space Between Black and White. But before you go and find that, it's time to take a trip to our renamed genre corner, which from now on will be Listener's Corner. If you've ever had to say genre repeatedly, no, just me, then you'll know it's one of those words that sounds very odd after a while. So let's get stuck in with a review from Michael. Here's what he had to say. Hi, Emriel. The book I want to talk about is We Are Legion, We Are Bob. So it's kind of a story about the end of humanity and a guy that gets his brain put in a jar, effectively, and then he is made into a spaceship and then he goes off and replicates himself across the whole universe and it's totally out there. I really, really enjoyed the book. I thought it was very funny and there were lots of really honest, genuine moments. But it was also a really great piece of science fiction. And I would love for more people to read and enjoy these books because, to be honest, I want to listen to the next one. Wow, I'm actually quite keen to hear a little bit more sci-fi. Thanks, Michael, for your honest review of We Are Legion, We Are Bob by Dennis e. Taylor. Remember, this is your chance to get your favourite audio recommended on You Heard It Here First. 
Send us an email and I'll read it out. Or, like Michael, send over a voice note talking about something you loved listening to on Audible. All you need to do is write to yhihf at audible.co.uk. That's the first letters of You Heard It Here First. And remember, keep your review spoiler free. And sadly, that's all for this week's You Heard It Here First. But hopefully you've found a new bit of audio to enjoy. Before we wrap this show up, remember to subscribe so you don't miss the amazing reviews coming up in the next episode. In case you missed any of the titles we mentioned today, here they are again. Do You Dream of Terra 2 by Temio. Breath, The New Science of a Lost Art by James Nestor. The Great Gatsby, written by F. Scott Fitzgerald and performed by Jake Gyllenhaal. The Colour Purple, written by Alice Walker and narrated by Samira Wiley. Fraud by David Rakoff. It's once with Jane Goldsmith's Audible Session. And our listeners' corner was We Are Legion, We Are Bob by Dennis E. Taylor. You've been listening to You Heard It Here First, an Audible original produced by Content is Green. Presented by me, Imriel Morgan. Additional voices by Lazara Morgan. And featuring Francis Earlham and Tom Curry. It was produced by Ellie Clifford. Original music was by Seth Bradford. For Audible, the executive producer was Holly Newson. The production executive was Hayley Nathan and the commissioning editor was Kent DePinto.